Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You can have a seat. Welcome to City on a Hill. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the, the pastors here. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm, I'm guessing since you're here, either you traveled and have come back since then, or family came and visited you and you never left. This morning, we're going to be actually in James chapter 4. So our Advent series is done. But we anticipated, and it looks like we were right, that just because of how New Year's Eve and Christmas fell, and add on top of that uh, the snow falling and the cold and all that stuff, we were anticipating this this morning to be a little light, so didn't want to kind of restart our series in Acts um, when a majority of us aren't here. So we'll be restarting our series in Acts next week. So this week is totally, totally a one-off, not related to Advent, not, not related to Acts, but it's still, still God's Word, still good stuff. So again, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And the, the big um, kind of question we'll be answering is, why do I do what I do? Or why do I say what I say? Why do I think what I think? Not that we, we don't have free will or anything like that, but what is the relationship between our heart and our desires and those passions and our actions. In light of that, I'm calling today's message a new heart for the new year. But the big idea that you'll hear over and over again is this. I do what I do because I want what I want. I do what I do because I want what I want. That's the condensed version. If you wanted to expand it out a little bit, it would be this. I do what I do because I want what I want. And we want the wrong things, most naturally, most of all. And I'll unpack that as we go along. But for now, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you um, that we can be here together, that we can gather together as a, a local body, that um, you've returned us from our travels safe and sound, despite snow and cold and all those other things. Pray that you'd help us this morning to be focused on, on what you have for us. You'd clear our hearts and our minds of, of travel and snow and school and work and, and everything else that could be going on in our lives. Help us to, to listen and, and have the humility uh, to learn from what you have for us this morning. Use my imperfect words and my imperfect delivery and, and your perfect word to be changing our hearts to be more like your son. We pray all these things in the name of that son. Amen. Amen. So I do what I do because I want what I want. And this morning, I actually only have two points for you instead of three. I know, crazy. And the first one is this. What's, what is the problem? The problem is we desire the wrong things. And I'm looking at James chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. The problem is that we desire the wrong things. So hopefully you're there by now. I'm going to go ahead and read that section, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hopefully you do have your Bible open and can look just a few verses back and kind of skim those. James just got done talking about uh, what, what fruit is the harvest of righteousness or what comes out of righteousness and from the wisdom of above. Uh, you may uh, think of it as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the one he points out specifically is peace. So the, the fruit of those things is peace. And now he's contrasting that with what happens at the beginning of chapter 4 where there's, uh, in the church that he's writing to, all these fights and quarrels, and, and we're asking, okay, you know, we know where peace comes from. Where do these fights and quarrels come from? And he says it's from their passions. I'm looking at verses 2 and 3 specifically. These actions come from passions. Passions we could also call your desires. You could call them your heart. You could call them your inner man. The, all those things, whatever you want to call it, that's what he's referring to there. Now, now, caveat, passions, and the way we normally use them in our, our day-to-day language, aren't necessarily bad. So if you're, you're passionate about your work or passionate about a hobby or passionate about whatever, that, that uh, can be okay. In fact, Jesus was passionate about a lot of things. He was just passionate about the right things, right? I think about him in the, the temple. He's going in and he's flipping tables. Obviously, a lot of passion there, but he's, and he was perfect. He was righteous in doing that but because he was passionate about God's glory and passionate about the temple. So passions aren't necessarily bad, but the way James is talking about them here in this verse or in this passage, they are kind of come with this negative connotation or, or he is talking about these negative passions. And we can tell they're bad, one, because they lead to sinful actions. So instead of producing unity in the church, which is, which is our goal, right, these passions are producing quarrels and fights in the church. And the Bible often uses passions in this kind of negative light or negative connotation when we talk about it because ever since the fall, when in the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, ever since then, for all of humanity, our sort of natural bent or our inclination is towards these selfish desires. Our, our natural bent is to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying God. And Paul mentions this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. I'm going to flip to several different verses uh, this morning. If you want to flip there with me, great. I'm going to be going pretty quick. Otherwise, they'll be on the screen. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he's talking about to the church in Ephesus before they were believers. Once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Literally, by nature, ever since the fall, we have been this way. And we know this intuitively because we experience it every day. So I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning and, and saw the snow and realized I'd have to snow blow it, 
My inclination, or my first inclination, wasn't towards selflessness and joy, the excitement of serving my family by clearing the driveway, right? My first inclination was towards selfishness of, ugh, what a pain this is going to be. And we experience this every day for our whole lives. What's easy for us is selfishness. It's natural. I don't have to work at that. You don't have to work at uh, doing what I want to do, right? What's, what's not natural for us, what we have to work at, what we, why we have to read our, our Bibles in the morning and, and reorient, reorient ourselves to, to God's Word and to be focused on that is because selflessness and generosity and all those things are so difficult for us. We, we know this naturally. I work really, really hard at being selfless, and I don't have to work really, really hard at being selfish. It just comes to me very naturally. And that's our big problem. It's not a problem that our actions flow from our desires or our actions flow from our hearts. That's just the way God made us. And it's good to know how God made us. The problem, our big problem, is that our, hats, our hearts are naturally inclined toward these selfish desires. And out of these selfish desires come our actions, our sinful actions. There's one more passage I want to go to, again, that, that talks about this. Our, our actions come from our heart, and then I kind of want to wrap it all together. That passage is Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Just like trees produce fruit, what we're treasuring in our heart, what's number one in our heart, is what's producing our actions. And Jesus is pointing out specifically here, what we speak, what the mouth speaks, comes out of the abundance of our heart. So we know we desire the wrong things, and those wrong things produce the wrong actions. In other words, I do what I do because I want what I want. And that should be enough for us, right? God's word is sufficient. Jesus says it. I believe it. But God has also given us natural revelation. There should be, uh, with truth that God gives us in his word, uh, places we can see it in the world and I think when we can see those things, it's helpful to talk about, helpful to engage with, because that, that could be a springboard or a way to engage with maybe non-believing friends or family or, or people we interact with in our day-to-day. -day. I think they see this as true, and they don't know how to quite articulate it because they don't have God's supernatural revelation. So here it is. In 2014... Pop star Selena Gomez. I know what you're thinking, right? Like, where is he going with this? You just come along with me. 2004, and I'm not a Selena Gomez fan, by the way, so let's not get the wrong idea here. But 2014, Selena Gomez releases a song, and it's called The Heart Wants What It Wants. <clears throat> it's a, from, my, from my research, for the purposes of this sermon, <laughs> I understand that it's uh, a breakup song, and it's not very specific, but essentially it seems like a bad relationship, toxic, um, something she shouldn't be a part of. And I'll just read you a few lines so you can get a sense of it. You might be right, but I don't care. 
There's a million reasons why I should give you up, but the heart wants what it wants. In other words, we might be tempted, or the, the culture might be tempted to say, our actions come from um, our genetics or our nurture, how we were raised, or it might just be based on logic and our, and our own reasoning. And what Selena is, is kind of admitting here is, no, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. I know I shouldn't be doing these things, but because this, this thing gets me what I want, it gets me what my heart wants, I'm going to do it anyway. During a 2001 interview with Time Magazine, director slash actor Woody Allen was asked about, why did you, you do this? He had sort of a, a dubious marriage. Why did you marry this person? And his response was simply, the heart wants what it wants. And we can trace back the origins of this phrase all the way back to 1862, someone named Emily Dickinson. So our culture, for at least 150 years, across genders, across countries, has been able to kind of articulate this action flows from my desires, but are unable to offer any more explanation other than this phrase, the heart wants what it wants, to say it's, it's inexplicable. Uh, I don't know why other than that's what my heart wants. But we know, because we have God's word, that our hearts are, are idle factories. This is why Dave and I are always... Uh, have said uh, several times, we'll continue to say, don't follow your heart. Because your, your heart is naturally inclined towards these sort of things, whether it's money or, or power or ease and comfort or, or whatever it is. They're doing those things, those actions, to, in an attempt to get whatever that desire is. Whether it's uh, a dubious marriage or Selena staying in that relationship or whatever it is, they do what they do because they want what they want. And so you'd say, all right, Jeff, fine. I see your point. I do what I do because I want what I want. And I naturally have this sort of selfishly inclined heart. So what does that mean for me? It means for us, whatever our circumstances are, whether it's COVID or a cold, snowy morning, or, or money, or family, or health, or whatever is or is not going right, those circumstances can't be blamed for our response, whether good or bad, or, or sinful, or righteous. In other words, if, if our actions flow from our desires, then our circumstances can't be responsible for our actions, and we are. But our, our actions are a response to our desires related to that circumstance, whatever it is. So our actions are uh, a response to those circumstances related to that desire, whatever that is. Let me show you what I mean. Let's pretend next Sunday we just get dumped on with a huge amount of snow, like talking like 18 inches, 12 inches, something like that, crazy amount. And picture the, the average Wisconsin family. Mom and dad both work. They have exactly 1.92 children. We'll round up to two for the, the sake of the second child. So they have two children. Mom and dad both work. How do they respond to this circumstance, the same circumstance, the snowstorm on Monday morning? Well, dad has a business trip 
uh, he needs to, to fly out for early in the morning. So he, he was already going to have to wake up early, and now he knows he's going to have to wake up even earlier, get out the snowblower, and, and, and blow the snow. And, um, you know, and then he gets up in the morning, and he has a little two-cycle, and it's not going to start. And so he ends up having to shovel all 18 inches out of the driveway. So, so by the time he's all done, Dad is, is fuming mad, right? He's, he's ticked off. What, what is he wanting in that moment? What's his desire? Well, you'd have to ask him. Anger can come from a lot of things, but since I'm making up the story, I can say he wants ease and comfort. And the, the, the snowstorm is, is getting in the way of his ease and comfort. Well, what about mom? Well, because dad has to go on this business trip, well, now mom has to stay home with the kids, and she's had to do that a lot recently. So she's, she's calling her boss, and she's worried, worried about his response, worried if she'll be passed up for promotion or for raise or different things like that because she's been doing this a lot, worried that he's going to get angry because her boss has a, has a tendency to do that. What's she wanting? Again, we'd have to ask. But for the purposes of this story, I'll say uh, the praise of man. She's concerned about what her boss will think. What about the kids? How did the kids respond to the, the 18 inches of snow on, on Sunday evening? They're like, woo, right? They're celebrating because they know no school on Monday. So they're all experiencing the same circumstance, right? They all experienced the 18-inch snowstorm, but they each responded differently. So the circumstances aren't causing that, but it's how that circumstance either goes along with their desire or doesn't. So this, for Dad, the snowstorm got in the way of my ease and comfort. For Mom... It got in the way of my praise of man. And for the kids, pretty much whatever they were wanting, unless they really wanted to go to school, their desire of not going to school, the snowstorm was, helped them to do that, right? I do what I do not because of the snowstorm or my circumstances, but because I want what I want. You say, okay, but how do I know if my desire not to go to school, or my desire um, for something like rest becomes an idol, or, or becomes wrong, or, or takes that place of, of God. Earlier we said James is using passions with a negative connotation here. And I specifically want to look at verses 4 through 6, especially verse 4, when he calls these same passions friendship with the world, or adultery. And that, that word adultery is a little um, maybe peculiar to me. I would have thought it was idolatry. But it's because when we take God out of that number one place in our hearts and put something else there, especially for us as, as we're supposed to be the church of the bride of Christ, when we replace God with something else, that's in, in a sense, that marital unfaithfulness in our relationship with God and, and adultery. That's, that's kind of what meaning James is imparting there. But if you want to think about it as idolatry, that's okay too. The point is, God is supposed to be number one, and it's been re- he has been replaced with something else. So how do I tell? How do I tell if this desire has become my new God, has taken the place of God in my heart or in this moment? 
sometimes it can be tricky. Sometimes when I, when I think about a desire like that, all I can really tell is, well, I, I do want that thing, but is, is that bad or is, or is that okay? So, for example, I want a larger TV. That's a desire of mine. We got a new couch. We, we got rid of our apartment-sized couch. We bought a house and bought a house-sized couch. We moved it further away from the, the television to kind of accommodate the space. And now, because of that, the TV seems smaller when we're, when we're using it. So now I need a, a bigger TV. It's like the, the problem of having more stuff. You just need more stuff. So anyway, I want a bigger TV. How do I know if my desire for this bigger TV is, is a fine desire to have or if it's, if it's become an idol or become a problem? And I think James gives us some helpful criteria uh, in verse 2 if we're, if we're looking closely here. So it says they coveted and desired, but they couldn't have, so they murdered, fought, and quarreled. So from this, I'm drawing kind of two principles that can help you identify, has this desire become an idol or, or a wrong desire? The first one is this. Are you willing to sin if you don't get it? Are you willing to sin if you don't get, get that desire or if that desire isn't fulfilled? So for me, if, if something happens um, or something comes up and all of a sudden we can't afford the TV or um, um, something like that, do I respond with anger or Am I, am I content? I'm saying, well, no, no big deal. So are you, are you willing to sin if you don't get it? But it also goes the other direction. Are you willing to sin to get it? So maybe this is obvious, but <clears throat> if I stole the television because I really wanted it that badly, I know from God's word that stealing is wrong. And in order to steal that television, I have to say in my heart, I know to please God would mean not to steal, but I want this television more than I want to please God or to obey God or to glorify God. So I'm going to ignore this and do this thing instead. I'm going to steal this TV or I'm going to lie about our finances to make it seem like we can get it when we, it really wouldn't be good stewardship or something like this. In other words... Bring us back to that Luke passage, you can tell a tree by its fruits. You can tell whether it desires good or bad, by whether it produces righteous actions, <clears throat> excuse me, or sinful actions. Is my desire producing righteousness like good stewardship or um, sinful actions like anger or lying or stealing? So here you go, that's the problem. We... Uh, do what we do because we want what we want, but we naturally, ever since the fall, have wanted kind of these selfish desires. Second point is the solution. Desiring to please God more than anything else. Desiring to please God more than anything else. In this part, I'm looking at James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. If you want to look back at your Bible, I'm going to read that now too. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 7 starts with, therefore, and that a light should go off in your head whenever you're reading your Bible and you, you come upon a phrase like, therefore, saying there's some sort of logical connection between what's coming and what we just came from. And I think in this case, it's saying in light of verses 1 through 6 and maybe in light of even his discussion in uh, the end of chapter 3, this should be our response. And James phrases it in verse 7, this response that we should have as submitting yourselves to God. Verse 8, draw near to God and, and purify your hearts. Verse 9, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize kind of the end of verse 8 and verse 9 is repent. I, uh, I talked about this for a long time. I think the first, very first time I preached the City on a Hill, which is two messages ago for me, um, we need to see our sin like God sees our sin in order to truly repent and truly be free of, of temptation against that thing. And that's what James is really emphasizing here when he's talking about being wretched and mourning and weeping, is, is mourning our sin like God mourns our sin. And I, I'm summarizing that to say repenting. <clears throat> so first, verse 9, repenting, mourning your sin like God. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. And I would argue, even though uh, these diff different phrases, maybe they're emphasizing something different, maybe not. I'd say overall, they're all describing kind of the same uh, goal or thing we're supposed to be doing. And the New Testament authors and, and Bible authors in general, general will frequently do this, kind of heap synonyms on one another to really try to emphasize a point. We do this, even though it's not as common, we do this in English too, so if, if you're in the, in the bookstore and you come across Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, you don't sit there and think, huh, I wonder what's different, but what, what's the different nuance the author's going for there between terrible and horrible? Or, or what do they mean by, is by no good versus very bad day? Right? You read it and you, you know exactly what the author's trying to do. You just mean, okay, they had a really bad day, and that's what the book is about. That's what's happening here in kind of these uh, verses 7 through 10. How do, you, how do you purify your heart without submitting yourself to God? Or, or how do you submit to God without first humbling yourself? Or, or how do you purify your heart without humbling yourself or submission? Right? They all really seem to be describing the same thing, the same goal, and we see this in, in Paul's writing, too. I have a, a couple of other verses I want to show. And, and my intent here is to um, see that kind of same goal, intent, spelled out in a couple different ways. So whichever one you really cling to, I used please God in my point. Glorify God really speaks to me. Whichever one really works for you, cleans to, that you can remember that. So first one is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Second one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. So whether we at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, I use the language of pleasing God in my point because I, maybe it's the easiest to understand or, or that was my thought. But whether you're thinking about humbling yourself before God, glorifying God, pleasing God, submitting to God, all this is describing obedience to God in one way or another. So if you take two things from this morning's message, the first thing would be, I do what I do because I want what I want. And hopefully that uh, phrase has been seared into your brain by now. You're probably like, Jeff, stop saying it. <laughs> or, so that would be point one. Second one I want you to take you away is this, is, is your purpose in life, or if, or if you were like here and you're like, I want to know the meaning of life, here it is. <laughs> the purpose of life, meaning of life, goal in life is to please God, is to glorify God, is to honor God. That's the purpose for our existence. So how do I know what honors God, what glorifies God, what pleases God? You don't have to, to answer out loud. It's his word, right? He's, we don't have to, to guess or, or try really hard to figure it out. He's given us his word so we know what pleases him, what honors him, what glorifies him. So then knowing that, the solution to our, our wicked hearts, James is giving us, is instead of desiring these passions, these idols, instead, desire to please God above all those other things. So, let's go back to our snow example, back to our, our parents and our two children. How would, how would their response change if... This was true for them. If they wanted to please Christ more than anything else. Well, well dad's primary concern isn't ease and comfort anymore. Now he, he can wake up really, really early for his business trip and really, really early to uh, do the driveway and clear it of snow. And he can have joy knowing that he's, he's getting to imitate Christ. He's getting to, to serve his family and have joy in knowing that that pleases Christ. Have joy knowing that doing his job and going on this business trip pleases the Lord. Mom can, can be less concerned about uh, pleasing his boss and is more concerned about knowing what she is doing is pleasing to God and that it's her primary concern. And knowing that she's able to have joy in, in staying home and being with her kids and and having the kind of work-from-home situation going on. And the kids, of course, they, were, they already had joy, and they would still have joy because they don't have to go to school <laughs> and are perfectly capable of pleasing Christ, whether they're at school or at home. So, I think a good question for us then, as we're thinking about our own lives, is... Is there something like this? Is there, is there a desire or maybe multiple desires in my life that either are currently taking that number one spot that only God should take? Or is there something that frequently takes that spot or I'm frequently tempted by? For me, it's ease and comfort. You'd, if you'd ever had small group with me, you'd know it. Most often or I'm tempted to be angry, or if I'm tempted to, um, to lie, or 
any sort of sinful action like that, it's because I'm trying to get or someone has taken away my ease and comfort. So I just want us to think about, for you, is there something like that that frequently tempts me or has kind of taken that number one spot? It also means whatever you want to grow in this new year, whether it's I want to read my Bible more, I want to pray more, I want to serve more, I want to be a better spouse or a better parent, whatever that thing is you want, you're wanting, to, or things you're wanting to grow in this year. By the way, you do have goals like that for this year, don't you? Like, we make goals for uh, maybe going to the gym more, yay, New Year's resolution, or losing weight, or businesses make initiatives, they're like one year, five year, ten year, could be more, about making money, and surely we're more serious about our sanctification than we are about uh, working out at the gym, or making money, or anything like that, right? So we all have goals, and I'm so proud of you guys for all having your your sanctification goals for the, the year, but whatever that thing is, we can't just focus on our actions for ourselves, we also have to focus on our heart. What do I mean by that? So, uh, for example, one of the things I want to grow in this year is I want to memorize more scripture, and I one, one goal I've set for myself is I want to memorize one verse a week or, or 52, 52 verses in 2022. So part of that, of course, is, well, I need to carve out some time in my schedule to to practice those things, and, and part of that is, is you know, choosing some verses and, and making flashcards and different things like that. But if I don't work on my heart desiring to know God's Word, I'll be like those people who go to the gym for like January and maybe like half of February and then stop for the rest of the year until next New Year's. I'll... So if I don't, if I don't, I'm not in places like Psalm 1, which talk about how delightful God's Word is, if I'm not meditating on how God's Word has been useful for my life, how, how Scripture I've memorized in the past have helped me resist temptation or helped me in my life or helped remind me of truth, if I don't value God's Word more in my heart, I'll go back to where I was the same way I was last year. Not memorizing Scripture because... Of, God's word wasn't valuable to me. And if God's word is valuable to me, then all of a sudden uh, I'll, I'll see memorizing scripture and having scripture memorized as more of a joy. So that's one part. Give, dive into the heart when you're thinking about how, how do I want to grow? How do I want to be sanctified this year? Part of it too is when, when I'm struggling, if, if I'm really wrestling with something, don't give yourself a pass. And what I mean by that is, don't just say, well, I'm, I'm angry, and I, I need to stop being angry. That's true. I mean, I'm not saying, like, you specifically are angry. I'm just saying in general. You're angry, and I need to stop being angry. But not just, I'm an angry person, but I want the praise of man, and when I don't get it, I'm angry. Or I want ease and comfort, and in order to get it, I'm going to get really angry to make people do what I want. I would just say the cross is big enough for that. Don't be afraid to confront not only your actions, but, but your heart in those, those things. Jesus died knowing 
that we weren't only sinners in action, but in our hearts and our desires. And while, while we were yet sinners, while we yet didn't want to glorify God in our hearts, he died for us, and he knows what he died for. And so if Jesus is willing to go there with us, just ask that we would go there with ourselves. But we'd also go there with, with others, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ, someone from our small group, a spouse, friend, go beyond the surface level. And I, again, I think the surface level is, is good. That's, that's where we live, right? I'm struggling with, with depression or anger or, or being a good spouse, whatever it is, or emotions. <clears throat> but take it, take it deeper to this kind of more un, unnatural, kind of uncomfortable, okay, where do, those, where do those actions kind of come from? Again, we do this in the world, we do this in business all the time, but rarely do we apply it to people. One of the, the businessy buzzwords is root cause analysis. And if you're in the business world, surely you've heard it. We're all about root cause analysis. <clears throat> let's, let's do the same thing with people. So not just, not just treating what's on the surface, but go deeper with people and dig into the mess with people. I do what I do because I want what I want. And maybe you say, man, Jeff, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like, I agree. I see what you're saying. That makes sense. We, sh we should go there with people, but I don't uh, really know how. Let's not use that as an excuse in, in, in general, not just for this, but let's not use a lack of equipping as an excuse not to try. Let's use it as a motivator to get equipped. And if you were to ever email Dave or I, or both of us, about, hey, I'd really like to be doing more of this or this ministry or whatever, but I don't uh, feel equipped. We would just love to get that email. Man, if, if our inboxes were just flooded with emails like that uh, when we went into work, we would just be so pumped for that. So, so if that's you, send us that email. But I also want to give um, a quick book recommendation just for, for everyone here. It's called The Dynamic Heart in the Daily Life by Jeremy Pierre. The Dynamic Heart in the Daily Life by Jeremy Pierre. So I've given you like, maybe like 40 minutes worth here, but he gives you like 200 pages on the same thing. So obviously, he's able to go into a lot more detail, maybe answer some questions you have, talk about different aspects of this that we're not able to. And I'd call it kind of a medium book. So, so uh, probably not the first book you should read if you're a new, new believer, but also isn't like, oh, this is a seminary textbook with lots of hard, difficult language and things like that. Call it a medium. So I think it's accessible for everyone here. Would recommend it if you're uh, interested in learning more. And maybe you'd say, I'm just so jazzed about this. I will read your book, but man, I just wish there was a, a week-long conference I would talk about this and how to apply it to different uh, ministering to people's life and different hard things like, like depression or anger or, or whatever that could be. Good news, in February, I'm going to a conference just like that. That is a week long. And I honestly don't expect anyone to take me up on that offer. But if you are just like, man, I'm like super pumped about this, want to know more about this, would, would love to do that, let me know and we'll, we'll get you hooked up. And I think, not this year, but in future years, would like to 
uh, maybe get a group together or, or have more organization around it. But I wanted to just throw that out there real quick. So let's wrap it all up. We talked about the problem. I do what I do because I want what I want. What I want naturally out of, out of my heart is these kind of selfish desires. And the solution is, is to want to please God more than we want those other things. But we can, only, we can only choose, we can only desire, we can only want to please God if we're a believer. Romans 8.8 8 says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We're born in the flesh. And we need a second birth, a new heart, or else we're stuck in those fleshly desires. We need help. We need rescuing to want to please God. And that's what we talk about when, when you, might, you might hear people talk about the depravity of man. That's, that's what it is. It's this kind of uh, idea of being stuck because what we want is the wrong things, and we need help. And that help can only come from Jesus. And that, that's what was promised. This new heart was promised to us long ago in the Old Testament, back in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. The new covenant and the, the indwelling Holy Spirit that you receive when you put your faith and trust in Jesus enables you to want to please God, to have these right desires. And, and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the heart God sees for our justification is not our heart, which even now is is conflicted. We wrestle between our selfish desires and these God-honoring desires. He sees the heart of Christ, who, who perfectly, for his whole life, has only ever wanted to glorify God. And when we participate in this, when we use our new heart and desire to please Christ, we're free from our enslavement to those desires, of, of constantly have to run after them and doing whatever it takes to try to get more of that all the while realizing and still pursuing them, knowing that they will never satisfy. And when we, we choose to please Christ, we get to experience a taste of the joy, of the everlasting joy that can only be found in Him. And then we get to look ahead to the next life when we're with Christ forever. And we'll still be doing what we do because we want what we want. We'll just only ever want to please God. May that be our aim and our goal in this life. And when we do please Christ, rejoice in those tastes that we get of the everlasting joy that can only be found in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we confess that we are a people with impure hearts. We, we want to please you, and so often we're, we're pursuing other things, things we know and have experienced and seen won't satisfy us, and, and yet we still go after those things. Pray that you would purify our hearts, change our hearts to 
to want you, to want to please you, to glorify you more than anything else. Help us to do that this week. Help us to remember what Jesus did for us, that it's, he lived the life with the heart we couldn't so that we could be with you. And one day we will experience the hope and the joy of, of only ever desiring 